0: So we've been telling you about Walters for brunch the last few days. But did you know that Walters also is open for lunch Monday through Friday? Walters opens at noon for lunch, midday baseball watching and even the occasional European soccer match. So if you find yourself around the ballpark during the day, make sure you walk on over to Walters.
1: Walters outdoor deck is the perfect place to be with friends before, during and after the game.
2: Nobody out here, bottom of the first inning. 3-0 Nats, Deadwater delivers, a swing and a long drive! Deep left field, forget about it! Way, way, way out of here, And God, goodbye! Oh, a tape measure home run for Josh Bell. Lester swings and drives, one to deep center field. This is way back, this ball! The one Soto hits it to deep left center field. This one going, going, and it is gone. Juan Soto with a three-run
0: homer. And the Nationals now lead it 18 to nothing. And welcome to Natchat for Tuesday, July 20th, 2021, along with Nationals Insider, Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, we have spent so much time this season talking about how confusing the 2021 Nationals are, how up and down the 2021 Nationals are. And we now can add this to the mix. The same Nats team that got bludgeoned on Friday night to the tune of a 24-8 score wins on Monday night to the tune of an 18-1 score. The same pitcher, John Lester, who looked shot, who looked done over his last few starts, Was Shohei Otani on Monday night with seven scoreless innings and a couple of hits, including a mammoth two-run homer. Raise your hand if you're confused by the Nats. Raise your hand if you're still not sure what to make of the 2021 Nats. That's okay. I think we're all in the same boat. But the good news is the Nats look great on Monday night. What a job in pummeling The Miami Marlins. Mark, it wasn't exactly the easy breezy game I was looking for, but you know what? It was a feel good night. It was an easy win for the Nationals. I think we'll take that given the events of the previous weekend.
1: And it was under three hours, Al. So that alone is reason to celebrate. Come on now, okay? (laughs) Look, I think my biggest takeaway right now is that the quality of opponent is making a big difference in what the Nationals look like. They just went through that 14 game stretch against nothing but NL West contenders. And they looked overmatched against them. They did not look like, certainly as currently constructed with all the injuries, they did not look like they belonged in the same category as the Dodgers, the Padres, and the Giants. And then they took the field on Monday night against a Marlins team that already isn't so great and is missing all kinds of starters as well, facing our old buddy Ross Detweiler, who couldn't even get four outs. And you saw what a difference that made. So we said on Sunday, here's your chance. You got a week worth of games. Against the Marlins and the Orioles. You got to take advantage of it. And they took complete advantage of it on Monday. And now it's up to them to continue to do this the rest of the week.
0: Yeah. I mean, what we do know about these Nats is they are not a great team. They are certainly not good enough to truly hang with the great teams, but they're certainly not bad enough to lose to the bad teams. And Nats are, I think, a middle of the pack team. And the good news is in this National League East this season, being middle of the pack just may well be good enough to win this division. Like you don't always have to be great to do great in sports. And I think the Nats this season may fit that bill, especially if they're able to get some key pieces back and, you know, make a run at this thing here. But with this softening of the schedule, I mean, you know, you talk about beginning the softer portion of the schedule in like ideal fashion. That's what you certainly got on Monday night. And you mentioned poor Ross Detweiler. I mean, man, what a showing That ended up being Ross Detweiler. And this gets forgotten. Ross Detweiler was the number six pick in the 2007 draft. And things did not work out for old Ross Detweiler with the Nats, but he's still pitching in the majors. I mean, he has had himself a career. He's in his age 35 season. He's now reliever with the Marlins. He was utilized as an opener on Monday night. And this may be the last time we ever see Ross Detweiler as an opener. Eight runs. He gives up three outs. He gives up four homers. I mean, I felt bad for the guy. You talk about John Lester. If you'd have told me a pitcher in this game was going to go up eight runs, get three outs, I would have said, oh my God, what happened with Lester? No, it was Detweiler who got just pummeled in this game.
1: So, this was the matchup of a couple of guys that the Nats have always been hoping could be good enough to be their number four starters. Yeah. One of them from many years ago didn't make it, the other guy right now who has at times looked like he doesn't deserve to be their fourth starter. But on this night, he very much did. And they were all over Detweiler. That was about as much as I've ever seen a team hit an opposing starter as hard as they did. Everything was hit hard. It's not even just the homers. Everything. They were all over him. Soto, another homer. Trey Turner, a triple. Bell, a right-handed homer that almost reached the concourse in left field. Trace Barrera, first career homer, a no-doubter 420 feet. And then the Trey Turner homer that finally ended his night. He faced 11 batters and gave up homers to four of them. I mean, that's insane. (laughs) Four four homers to 11 batters and a triple. I like the guy, Ross. I give him credit for sticking around as long as he has, but his time may be waning at this point because that was ugly.
0: Well, he'll always have the honor of having been the only Nationals pitcher who provided a quality start in that 2012 NLDS against the St. Louis Cardinals. For all the talk about the Strasburg shutdown, the guy who replaced Strasburg in the rotation was the only guy who gave the Nats a quality start in that series, and that man was Ross Detweiler. Anyway, Nationals offense outstanding on Monday night 18 runs on 18 hits, including six homers. Nats worked two walks. Nats went 9 of 13 with runners in scoring position. The offensive roll call is lengthy, but I think you have to start with Juan Soto, who is in some kind of zone right now. Three for four with two more homers, a double and a walk. And the theme that continues to stand out, that continues to like slap you right across the face, is this guy going opposite field. Everything is opposite field right now, it feels like. And everything is a hit. It feels like most of the times, These are extra base hits, but you had the two run homer, the opposite field homer to left field off Detweiler and the Nats four run first. You had an opposite field double to left field off Marlins reliever and former Orioles pitcher David Hess. And the Nats six-run second. And to anyone who follows the O's or perhaps is even an O's fan, uh, you're not surprised that David Hess came into the game and immediately gave up an extra base hit. And then you had a one-out three-run homer off poor Sandy Leon, another ex-National who got bludgeoned in this game. And I don't know if this qualifies as an oppo shot. It was to left center, so I guess it's kind of pseudo-opposite field. But here you have, you know, the classic thing of the position player pitching. Poor Sandy Leon is out there and you know, you say to yourself, man, his first guy that he has to face is Soto. And sure enough, what does Soto do? He launches a one out three run shot. It would ends up being a six run seventh. <laughs> the, Nats, the Nats go up 18 uh, nothing. Just nuts what this game ended up becoming.
1: That might have been the most predictable home run of all time. (laughs) I mean, I'm sorry to say, Don Mattingly, you're going to bring in Sandy Leone to face the red-hot Juan Soto in a blowout game with two runners on base in a situation in which he knows he can just cut loose with everything he's got. There was no reason for him to hold back in that at bat at all, and that was so predictable. Now, to Sandy's credit, he then retired the five batters that he faced after that. So good for him, getting the job done. and. I don't know. That was (laughs) an unfortunate position for him to be in. Fortunate for Juan Soto to have that opportunity. But you're right. Everything's the opposite field. The homers, the double. A few weeks ago, all of his hits went to the opposite field, but they were kind of like staying back and just sort of like flicking the ball to left field. They didn't look like good, confident swings. What he's doing right now is really confident, aggressive swings to the opposite field. That's when he's going well, you know, when he does that. It's five homers now in four games since the All-Star break, 10 hits overall. And according to ESPN that put this stat out, he's the first player ever in the first four games out of the All-Star break with five homers and 10 hits. So he is locked in as much as he's ever been. He's on a bit of a Kyle Schwarber streak right now. And boy, do they need it. And you see what a difference it makes. And here's an amazing thing that I didn't even realize, and I noticed it on the, the Masson broadcast at the start of the game tonight. They're actually scoring more runs per game, even before this one. They're scoring more runs per game now in July than they were in June. Even with Schwarber out, they're actually as a lineup scoring more runs, and it's because of Soto and Turner and Bell. They're getting contributions from a lot of guys, and, and that is allowing them to offset the loss of Schwarber, which we thought was going to be a killer for them.
0: Yeah, you know, Nat's Park, I know it doesn't have the reputation for being a bandbox, but with the way balls are flying out of there now and really have been flying out of there for a while. You know, I don't know where Nats Park ranks this season in terms of park factor, in terms of home runs. You know, part of that, too, though, can be a function of the teams that play in the park. But Nationals Park is a very comfortable ballpark for hitters. And especially when the weather warms up, it becomes like, say, a Camden Yards or it becomes like, say, a Great American Ballpark. I mean, we are seeing teams put up prodigious run totals here in games at Nationals Park over these last few weeks.
1: It's really weather related, I think. From what I've seen over the years, April and May, they don't hit, the balls don't travel. And as soon as it heats up, as soon as it gets some humidity in the air, the ball just flies here. And then it disappears in September and October often as well. I think that is a big part of it. And it's why consistently you've seen the Nationals as an offense. They very often struggle early in the year. They're usually a really good offense in July and August. And I think that's part of it is the weather. And I can tell you this homestand, the ball absolutely has been flying and they're taking full advantage of it. You know, a team that we didn't really think, especially with all the injuries, I'm not sure we thought this is a team that's going to win games with a lot of runs and they're going to win blowouts or, or a uh, high scoring slugfest. They're actually showing they can do that. And if, and when they get Schwarber back as well, and Jan Gomes back, this actually could turn out to be a pretty good lineup. I'm surprised I'm saying that I wouldn't have said that a month ago, but right now it actually could turn out to be a pretty good lineup the rest of the way.
0: It's another part of this season that's so confounding. We have had stretches in which we've said, well, the pitching has to lead the way because the offense is just not very good. Now we're saying, well, the offense has to lead the way because the pitching isn't very good. And it's like every few weeks it changes, you know, give the season another two weeks and we'll be saying the exact opposite of what you just said here. Like it's been that kind of a year with the Nationals. We're just up is down, left is right, and nothing makes any sense and things change constantly. And that's part of the fun, honestly, of, of covering and talking about this team, that things are not set in stone in any way. That This is as dynamic of a team as you'll ever see in terms of things constantly changing. Natchat chat is sponsored by Silver Branch Brewing Company, located in downtown Silver Spring. Only a one minute walk from the Silver Spring Metro Station. Silver Branch is a perfect jumping off point. To metro down to the game. Park at the Cameron Street parking lot and meet up with friends for a beer and a bite to eat before metroing down. You can also get Silver Branch Beer at Nationals Park. For Saison and buying from District Drafts to support your local breweries is a gnome run. Go to Section 223 and try Beyond the Gnome World the next time that you're at Nats Park. And make sure you stop by Silver Branch, located in Metro Plaza, just steps from the Silver Spring Metro. Silver Branch Brewing Company, when you come in, let them know that the Nats Chat Podcast sent you. Treat the
3: whole family to a fun night of baseball with the Bethesda Big Train at Shirley Povich Field. Big Train Baseball is the perfect mix of small-town charm and big-league talent right here in Bethesda's Cabin John Regional Park. Visit BigTrain.org forward slash tickets to reserve your seats for tonight's game and all other home games throughout July.
2: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. that kicks delivers the pitch swing and a long drive to left field back goes Brinson way back going going and long gone goodbye over the visitors bullpen landing in section 101 bang zoom goes Trey Turner with the Nationals fourth home run of the night with nobody out in the bottom of the second inning
0: it's a three-run home run for Turner Soto was great on Monday night. Trey Turner was great on Monday night. Two for four with a three-run homer and an RBI triple. And over the first two innings, the guy threatened to hit for the cycle over the first two innings. An RBI triple to the left field corner on a 1-2 pitch from Detweiler in that Nats four-run first. And then a full count three-run homer on a bomb to left field off Detweiler in the Nats six-run second. Turner was down in that count. At 1.12. And that homer by Turner, a projected 428 feet for stat cast. We've talked about this before, but you know, Trey Turner, he has that perpetual babyface look, right? I mean, the guy looks still like he's about 13 years old, but he has this power that I don't think he gets credit for. Like when you think about big time home runs, you think about Schwarber and Josh Bell, Ryan Zimmerman has certainly hit plenty. Turner has this ability, it's sneaky, but he can hit bombs. And that was sure a bomb that he hit on Monday night.
1: Yeah, I mean, he can be a 30-30 guy. At one point, he was on pace for (laughs) 40-40. And especially when he gets fastballs in, he can turn on them and drive them. But what we've seen this year and last year as well is that he also has the ability to go the other way now and hit for power. And I think that's what's elevated him to another level as a hitter, the ability to now actually go the other way, hit the ball on a line to right center field. I think that's helped raise the batting average, slugging percentage, everything. That's helped turn him into a more complete hitter. But yeah, he's as good as anybody when it comes to that. And I'm not even just talking about shortstops. I'm talking about any hitter in the National League. He can do what anyone else can do. I really did think he was going to hit for the cycle in this game because he got the two out of the way in the first two innings. And because you knew the Marlins were just throwing whoever they had left at that point, I thought the only thing that was going to stop him from hitting the cycle would be if he hit another homer and he couldn't stop at second base on the double because you knew if he hit a ball down the line, he was just going to stop at second, of course and do that. And they wound up striking out and then popping out. And then Davey pulled him in the seventh when you knew he was only going to get one more bat, which, which is fine. you know. Don't go chasing records like that. Here's a guy who plays all the time. He was just hurt. Oh, by the way, did you notice on the triple, he slid in feet first. I thought that was very interesting because of course the last triple, when he hit for the cycle, head first, wound up hurting himself. So I thought that was very interesting that he did that and good for him for doing that. And I think good for Davey for giving him the rest of the night off to make sure that he stays healthy.
0: Yeah, I mean, the Nats do have an off day coming up on Thursday. But if you look at the schedule the rest of the season, there aren't many off days. So when you get games like this one on Monday night, utilize it as an off day and get guys rest. I mean, the the heck with hitting for the cycle and stuff like that. Like, I mean, yeah, it's nice, but whatever. Like, the rest matters more. So totally on board with Davey doing that with Trey Turner. The highlight of the night, just in terms of like a singular moment, was the Josh Bell home run. What a shot that was. 446 feet per stat cast. Bell only had one hit in the game, but uh, my goodness, what a hit it was. Full count solo homer in going back-to-back with Juan Soto in that four-run first inning. I mean, Detweiler, he just, he just got abused. And Josh Bell, he launched that thing to left field. That was almost like to the very top of section 104 in that portion of Nationals Park. That was something else.
1: Yeah, it was almost the concourse. And I've I've only seen a few of those over the years. I think Ian Desmond if I remember right, his first career homer reached the concourse. I want to say Michael Morse got there as well at one point. And remember, this is right-handed. That's Bell's weaker side. We've seen him do better right-handed against lefties, and it's one of the reasons that he is starting more games than Ryan Zimmerman even against lefties at times now. In this case, I know some people ask me, why isn't Zim starting this game? Because they're facing a lefty. Well, they knew Detweiler was only going for a couple innings. This was a bullpen game. Davey wanted to stick with the hot hand in Josh Bell and the one who could hit from both sides of the plate. And obviously that worked out fine. That was Titanic. He continues to show that what we saw from him in April was maybe a mirage and that he is now right up there with everyone else. I mean, their top four, even the times five hitters right now are pretty productive when it gets to the bottom of the lineup, not as much. Although they've done a nice job here the last few days, but Escobar, Turner, Soto, and Bell, and then eventually you bring Schwarber back, and then right now it's Harrison. That's actually turning out to be a fairly productive one through five. And boy, if they needed it,
0: yeah, it's funny. The narrative on the offseason, authored by Mike Rizzo, for a while it looked like a complete debacle. Now you look at it, you say, you know what? Yeah, did a nice job, Kyle Schwarber, Josh Bell, Brad Hand. This Alcides Escobar trade looks like an absolute steal. I mean, I think we're still right to get on Rizzo for the lack of you know, position flex and for the lack of versatility with the lineup. The farm system is, a, is another conversation. But some of these offseason moves as the season has gone on, as guys are able to play to the backs of their baseball cards, as Rizzo likes to say, we're seeing these guys perform. And Josh Bell, I mean, the truth of Josh Bell now is he's been more good than bad this season. the, yes. the bad is what sticks with people because it was so bad and it was the initial impression we got. But he's been good far longer than he was bad for this season.
1: And because still the season totals don't look great at this point, but they're trending way upward. And as long as he just continues to be productive here for another, I'd say, three to four weeks, the season numbers are going to look pretty comparable to what he should have been all along. So that has been huge for them. They have desperately needed it. And this is the guy they thought they were getting all along. And and good for him for sticking it out, because it it was getting kind of bad there in April and early May. And you thought, boy, this guy's a bust. And what were they thinking? Credit to him. He stuck with it and he has found his swing and uh, proven that he is worthy of hitting cleanup behind Juan Soto in this lineup.
0: Well, we always play name your catcher when it comes to the Nationals these days. You never know who might be donning the tools of ignorance uh, for the Nationals in a given game, given that Jan Gomes and Alex Avila remain on the 10 day injured list. Tres Barrera was the man on Monday night, and Tres Barrera had himself a multi hit game. Two for five with a homer and a single. He had a leadoff first pitch homer to left center off, you guessed it, Ross Detweiler in that Nats six-run second inning. The homer is Barrera's first career Major League home run. Uh, He also has a single in the Nats six-run seventh. But I have to say, one of my favorite things in baseball, I know it's not exclusive to the Nats, but the silent treatment (laughs) that players in the dugout will give to a guy when he gets his first home run. And sure enough, the Nats did it, and Barrera hits the home run. He goes back to the dugout. Nobody's looking at him. Nobody's talking to him. He's kind of minding his own business. And then at just the right moment, and I'm not sure how this gets decided, but at just the right moment – all the guys swarm him in the dugout. It's a pretty cool thing to see, and it happened to Tres Pereira on Monday night.
1: Yeah, I love that when it happens, and, and you see it every once in a while. You know, he's a rookie, but he's also been around a while. I think he's 25, 26. It's been a long time coming for him to have that moment. He had a wild year last year with a, a suspension for a PED, which he has uh, argued against to no avail, that it was a such a tiny amount that he didn't even know he had taken it, and uh, something other players have been... Tagged for and believe that they should not be for it, that he didn't actually do anything to try to enhance his performance. So good for him for sticking out. And I'll tell you what, based on what we've seen, it's a small sample here. Based on what we've seen, Trace Barrera deserves to play more than Renee Rivera does. <laughs> Once Jan Gomes and Alex Avila are back, they're probably both gone. But at the moment, I think Barrera has shown certainly more upside and not a lot of the downside of being a younger catcher that you might expect versus a veteran. I think he should be playing more than. Rene Rivera for the time being.
0: Yeah, I mean, you certainly would hope that's the case. Barrera's been in your system. Rene Rivera is a guy who's bounced around the majors. I mean, you should not be starting a Rene Rivera unless it's an emergency situation. And I guess maybe you could argue this has been that, but you'd like to think Tress Barrera is competent enough to be your catcher for at least a little while. And I think he is proving that. Uh, he's done actually a nice job offensively here I guess we still don't know when Gomes or Avila is going to be back right
1: I think Avila is any day that's what I keep being told that he's getting close Gomes I was told he wants to start swinging and they're telling him you can't do it yet it's an oblique and if you have one bad swing and you pull it that could knock him out for a very long time and they simply cannot afford to have that happen so they are going to slow play that one but Avila it, it feels like it's any day now I Every afternoon, if, when they announce if there's been roster moves, I kind of wait to see, is this the one when Avila is activated? It hasn't happened yet. Maybe it will happen Tuesday or Wednesday. But in the meantime, I, I think Barrera is showing that he deserves to be there. And, you know, he's inexperienced, but he's not necessarily inexperienced with this pitching staff. He's there all spring. Catchers get a lot of playing time in spring training and a lot of bullpen sessions they catch. And especially early on, they start a lot of games that the veterans don't because they're so careful about the workloads of veterans. So he knows John Lester. He knows Max Scherzer, who he caught on Sunday, more so than Rene Rivera, who just stepped in for the first time. Even though, yeah, there's an inexperience factor there, I think there is a little bit of trust between him and some of these pitchers. He's not completely foreign to them.
0: Good night for some of the viejos on the Nats as well. Gerardo Parra three for five with a double and a couple of singles as he was the starting left fielder. Osiris Escobar four times he reaches base. What a run this guy's putting together. Two for three with two singles, a walk, and a hit by pitch on Monday night. Hey guys, Al Galdi here to tell you about FanDuel. It's great to be in the midst of baseball season. Nothing like watching a game. Great weather, cold drink, and a little action on FanDuel Sportsbook. If you have never bet on baseball before, now is the perfect time to give that a shot. FanDuel is letting new users swing for the fences risk-free as you'll get up to $1,000 back for an even bigger win all season long. There's a reason that FanDuel Sportsbook is America's number one sportsbook. The app is simple to use. It's got great odds on all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like same game parlay and always on promotions to let you get more action out of every game day. And when you win, FanDuel will pay you your winnings in as little as 24 hours. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with promo code chat to get in on the action. That's FanDuel Sportsbook. Promo code chat and games on Tuesday night include San Diego at Atlanta at 720. Going for the Padres is a guy who, yes, overall has been good this season, but who also, yes, the Nationals tattooed the last time that they faced him. You Darvish, still 309 ERA for Darvish on the season. We will root for the Padres and we will ride the Padres in this game.
3: 21 plus in present, Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, or West Virginia. First on my real money wager only for risk free bet. Refund issued as is non withdrawable site. Credit that expires in seven days. Restrictions apply. See terms at com. Gambling problem, call 1 100 522 in Colorado. 1 100 bets off in Iowa. One hundred nine with it, Indiana, 7117 for confidential help in Michigan, one hundred gambler, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia, Tennessee, 1-800-889-9789 or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. One one pitch, broken bat, pop up right side, Bell backpedaling onto the outfield grass, and he'll make the catch for the final out of the inning. Seven solid innings, fans rise to their feet behind the first base dugout, to applaud John Lester.
0: Excellent night for the Nationals offensively. And included in that mix was John Lester, the starting pitcher, having two hits and tossing seven shutout innings. Again, a Nat season that makes no sense includes a guy who had been a complete mess, a complete wreck, going out there and killing it. On Monday night, who says, by the way, that John Lester shouldn't be pinch hitting? You see, Davy Martinez was right all along when it came to that. I think my favorite thing about the home run is that the home run was some kind of shot. Like I mentioned, Josh Bell's homer being super impressive, and it was. It was the most impressive of the Nat Six home runs. But this John Lester homer, this was not some cheapy. Here you had thirty-seven-year-old John Lester, who we know has got some mass to him. So you know, when he when he gets a hold of one, he can send it a ways. He ends up sending this thing to center field for the Nationals. A two out, two run homer in the bottom of the fifth inning. Nats go up 12 0. The homer measured is going a projected 419 feet per stat cast. And I loved the home run trot because it took about an hour and a half. I don't know what takes longer, Lester to pitch in a game or Lester to round the bases on a home run. But good for him, man. That was a great piece of hitting.
1: And he actually said that. Off the bat, he didn't know for sure if it was going to be a home run, but he said it was either going to be a home run or he was going to get thrown out at second base (laughs) because he knew he wasn't running hard enough to stretch that into a double if the ball went off the wall. So thankfully, it cleared the fence by a lot. His single in the second inning was like 105 miles an hour off the bat. He was raking tonight in this game. He can do it, and maybe all those pinch hit appearances helped him get his swing together, just like Soto in the home run derby just needs a little practice. So maybe, Al, Davey Martinez actually knows what he's doing as a manager. And he was slow playing this and saying, hey, I'm going to pinch hit John Lester for a couple of days here in June so that come July, he's going to hit a 419-foot home run and a blowout victory. I think he was thinking, you know, a little 12-dimensional chess there from manager Davey Martinez.
0: Davey knew it all along. Who are we to question Davey Martinez with what ended up happening with John Lester, the batter? And then there's John Lester, the pitcher. And look, you have to say this. The Marlins, first of all, even when they're healthy, are one of the worst hitting teams in baseball. The Marlins came into this game on Monday night 25th in the majors in team-weighted runs created plus at 89. And as Mark alluded to earlier, Marlins are dealing with all kinds of injury issues right now. The Marlins on Monday put two key position players on the 10-day injured list. Jazz Chisholm Jr., who listeners may remember, torched the Nats the last time these two teams played each other and Garrett Cooper. So a bad Marlins offense was worse going into this game. But considering that John Lester had been a train wreck lately, I think you still have to give John Lester a lot of credit for what he did. Seven shutout innings. I mean, I still can't believe I'm saying that out loud with a John Lester started game. Seven shutout innings, seven strikeouts, no walks. He only gave up six hits. He threw strikes, 59 strikes versus 22 balls. I mean, this was the classic thing of The veteran pitcher gets staked to a massive lead. Nats were up 10-0 at the end of two innings. But Lester went out there and did exactly what a pitcher should do in such a game. He worked quickly, he worked efficiently, and he worked successfully. You know, we haven't always seen that from Nats pitchers this season. They get staked to big leads and they struggle. They don't throw strikes. Lester did that in this game. And I don't know what it really means, honestly, but it was nice to see. I mean, Lester seems like a good dude. You hate to see the guy struggle as he has struggled. And so good for him for going out there and pitching really well on Monday night.
1: So I think the most important number for him in this start is 81 pitches in seven innings. And he didn't have a single inning that he threw more than 15. That is efficiency. And yes, he's pitching with a big lead and that may have been part of it. But I think in a way, it may have also reminded him and the Nationals that if you just pitch aggressively, throw the ball over the plate, make them beat you. Yes, he's facing a weaker lineup but maybe even against better lineups that give him a better chance than the nibbling around the zone, John Lester, that we've seen too much of. He wasn't, you know, going into three, two counts. He wasn't having guys foul off pitches and wasted. He wasn't, you know, throwing, trying to get that call on the outer part of the plate or even beyond the strike zone. He was throwing strikes and maybe it won't work against everybody, but against the Marlins, it certainly did. And I think it is a little bit of reminder, and and he he sort of admitted it too, that this could be good for him to show that, yeah, you can have success, you just have to have a little more aggressive approach, get ahead in the count, and keep throwing the ball over the plate, and it worked out wonderfully for him. Now, his next start should be against the Orioles, so that's two in a row against weak teams. And I know Camden Yards is a good hitter's park and everything too, but maybe that can get his confidence back. And I'll tell you what, this performance tonight, coupled with the home run, that may have bought him a lot more time in the rotation. If he had another bad start tonight with Strasburg and Ross potentially coming back here at some point, you know he may have been on borrowed time. But what he did tonight, that may have bought him some more time, no matter who comes back.
0: You mentioned Strasburg. I know we had the setback that came out the other day, but it seems like at least a modest step forward has been taken by him and his recovery from the next strain.
1: Yeah, he threw off the bullpen mound, 32 pitches. And that was sooner, I think, than they expected. But he said he felt well. And most importantly, in this one, he said he had no issues at all with the neck. Now, you know, we've been fooled before. We can't get too worked up over this, too excited. He needs to go out and face hitters. He needs to then go into rehab games, pitch innings, build his arm back up. And then even then, when he comes back off the IL, he's got to make a start. He's got to be effective. And then he's got to come back five days after that and be effective. So there's a long way to go before we're declaring anything. But this was a positive development only a few days after a seemingly negative development. And so maybe the return is not as far off as maybe we thought it was a few days ago.
0: Nats did use two relievers on Monday night. Wander Suero, um, man, sometimes he's good and sometimes you're like, bro, can you just get outs? He gives up a home run, ruins the shutout, giving up a, a, a one out solo shot to Miguel Rojas, who's become kind of a Nats killer here in the top of the eighth inning. And then Davies' favorite, whether it's a blowout loss or a blowout win, you know Jeffrey Rodriguez is coming into the game. You know, it's like Dennis Eckersley back in the day when the A's had a lead. You knew the Eck was going to be summoned by Tony La Russa. When the Nats are down big or up big, you know that J-Rod is coming onto the mound. And sure enough, he was out there on Monday night. Gave up a couple of hits, but ultimately tossed a scoreless ninth inning. So game two against the Marlins, Tuesday night at 7.05, Paulo Espino, versus another Marlins lefty, Trevor Rogers, And Rogers is having a really good season, 18 starts, ERA of 231. Going to be interesting if Davey sticks with Josh Bell at first base or if, in fact, we do see Ryan Zimmerman. We have barely seen Ryan Zimmerman start games here lately, although we did see him homer uh, just a few games ago. So, I mean, it's not like he's done nothing when given the opportunity. And then with our guy Paolo Espino, uh, look, the truth is this. Since Paolo peaked with the five scoreless innings, in that makeup game against the Mets all the way back on June 28th. Things have not gone so well for the secret weapon. Paolo, over his last three appearances, has given up nine runs in 10 and a third innings. And even that's a bit misleading because the last time we saw him was in the 24-8 loss to San Diego at Nationals Park on Friday night. Paolo comes into the game, bases loaded, two outs, and that's down 6-3 top of the second. And he gives up a two-out grand slam to the first batter he faces, Will Myers, on a bottom to left field for a 10-3 Padres lead. So, you know, in that game, he allows inherited runners to score in addition to allowing other runs to score. So, hasn't got well for our guy lately. Hopefully, the secret weapon gets back on track. But the Nats will not be facing Ross Detweiler on Tuesday night. Nats are going to be facing one of the better pitchers in the National League so far this season in Trevor Rogers.
1: Yeah, but like I said, the lineup has been pretty effective here. And even against some seemingly decent starters, uh, Joe Musgrove, Blake Snell, who I know is not really the same Blake Snell that he was in Tampa. I can't believe I'm saying it, but I'm feeling better about the lineup than I have in a while. And Trey Turner and Juan Soto alone, those two, the way they're going right now, I think that could make a huge difference for them. And you just, in Palo's case, because they didn't have to use any of the big name relievers on Monday, give them five solid and go to the bullpen and go Finnegan, Voth, Hudson in hand. And hopefully that is uh, enough for them. And in Palo's case, I'm looking it up now to see if he did. He faced the Marlins for two innings on June 25th out of the bullpen. So they have seen him, but not as a starter. So maybe that helps, you know, a little more of that uh, secret aspect of him that uh, I think we saw teams that had faced him before maybe started to figure him out a little bit. I don't know how long it's going to continue with him. Uh, Joe Ross should be coming back fairly soon. We talked about Strasburg. I think they really value Palo's versatility and so maybe there aren't many more starts for him in the works, but uh, if he can just give him a chance to win in the lineup, can score some runs, and then go to the bullpen, they have a chance here to actually get on a little bit of a run and get this week going in the direction they need to get it going.
0: Yeah, I mean, for Paolo, it's like an undrafted free agent. You have to overachieve to get your spot, so he had been overachieving, and so we were singing his praises, but nine runs in 10 and a third innings over three appearances. Is it going to make anyone make any concessions to you? Like you, you got to go above and beyond if you're Paolo, given his background to earn a spot in the rotation. And it hasn't happened lately, but that doesn't mean that it can't happen on Tuesday night. And so get your t shirt for the secret weapon by going to our site, natschatpodcast.square.site. That is natschatpodcast.square dot square dot site. You can also get yourself a Nats Chat podcast t-shirt. We continue to see Nats Chat podcast t-shirts all over the place, There was a Bethany Beach sighting of a Nats Chat podcast t-shirt recently. So you never know where they're going to pop up. This is becoming quite the fashion statement. I fully expect sometime soon on one of those uh, fashion shows in Paris to see a Nats Chat podcast t-shirt on display by one of those models, you know, walking the aisles. I think we're going to see our t-shirts on display, Mark. That's coming.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, getting reviewed by all the fashion writers and uh we might need a little slimmer version for them. I don't know if our size medium is appropriate for that, but sure. Yeah, let, let's do it. Let's bring it along. Hey, I, I've seen them at the park. I've I've heard from a lot of fans who yell up at the press box that their listeners, their fans, all the responses we've got on Twitter have been fantastic. It's been really cool to see this community start to develop here through what's been a very eventful season to date. And I think no matter what the end result is, this is going to be an eventful season the rest of the way. Uh, and we appreciate everyone who's come along on the ride with us.
0: Yeah, the feedback continues to be a lot of fun, too. So send us your thoughts on anything and everything. You can tweet us at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. Speaking of radio highlights, we would like to leave you with something special here on this Tuesday installment of the Nats Chat Podcast. So Tuesday, July 20th is the anniversary of Apollo 11 landing on the moon. And so we're going to conclude the program by playing for you a clip from the Washington Senators broadcast that day in 1969 on WWDC radio here in DC. Something nostalgic, something classic to send you out off a great Nats win on Monday night. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. The announcement in the game being paused. Apollo 11... Has landed safely on the moon. That's what the cheer and a pause before for. They're on the moon right now. And it's a standing ovation, very inspiring. And I'll tell you one thing: sitting here broadcasting this game and watching the players, I think there's only one thing going through everyone's mind.
3: Trying to get the people's attention once again. And as I sit here, and as they've been all weekend long, really, and I think my thoughts.